Welcome to the seventh episode of the Animal Riot Podcast, brought to you by Animal Riot Press, a literary press for books that matter. It's your producer Katie here, and this episode has been edited to reflect our new name. If you're new to the Animal Riot community, welcome, and you can find out more about us at AnimalRiotPress.com. Now on to the episode with your hosts, Brian Birnbaum, and today's guests, Devin Kelly and Kate Smeisner. This marks the first episode of a two-part series about prison reform, which will inevitably lead to issues of social justice and the like. Right now, we're here with Devin Kelly, whom some of our listeners might remember as the OG of the breeding series, along with Katie. And Kate's Meisner, right? Am I? That's right, right. Okay, yeah. She just told us about how everyone was fucking up her name in the last radio show, so <laughs> wanted to make sure. And the director of the prison writing program at PEN America. Yeah. And I also want to make like a bad dad, dad joke about how like your parents loved you so much that they wanted to name you as if there were two of you. <laughs> it's a nickname. Kate, uh, I see. Kate, I see. Yeah. Okay, we'll get have, into I that. Have a, I have a government. I see. <laughs> I see. <laughs> All right. All right, so I'm going to do a rant about this hour's brand of fuckery, which is brought to you by governmental cronyism, I guess I'd say. Basically, we got representatives of federal agencies, such as the FDA and DEA, uh, crusading state legislative bodies to impose a ban on kratom, kratome, Crit, crat, crit, crat, kratom. We're just gonna go with that. No one knows how to say it. It's a southeast Southeast Asian plant with pain relieving and mood enhancing properties. It would be disingenuous to deny that it has a uh, habit forming potential, but as it would to say, uh, you know, sugar, alcohol, and legal opioids don't. So you know, but kratom has offered hundreds of thousands of outs. Yeah, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of opioid users a safer alternative, whether it be to uh, life-threatening addiction, suboxone, and or a real need for pain management. So like many of the government's impulses to control our behavior, I find it ironic that amidst a self-proclaimed opioid crisis, they're concerned about banning a substance, Kratom, that's caused less total casualties than an hour's worth of opioid overdoses. So we're here drinking Kratom right now, a couple of us, uh, 75% of us in the room are. But yeah, I'm going to shut up about that now. I just thought it was apropos because if they do ban it, then that will throw hundreds of thousands of people into the group arbitrarily known as criminals. So uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's drink it while it's legal and into its illegality. Cheers, everyone. Okay, so yeah, let's have you guys introduce yourselves now that I've rambled for 20 minutes. Devin? I am Devin Kelly. I am a writer and teacher living in new york city my bio is getting shorter each time i appear yeah that's I, yeah I, I like that you know we're gonna at some point you're just gonna implode into a yep a, a, i am a non-physical yes. spiritual entity i am who is yes <laughs> or become a symbol yes like a, the writer formerly known as yes devin kelly oh beautiful yeah beautiful it's better than the long bios when they're read at uh. an event and you're like Oh my god, I, my bio didn't look that long when I yeah. submitted it. Can I think, you please stop? I think the goal of any writer is actually to have your bio get shorter. I think yeah. so too. Yeah. I think until you are simply your name. Yeah. And then simply nothing. I'll have this to is admit, getting pretty existential yeah. pretty fast. <laughs> yeah. And now, now I want to comment about how like, yeah, those bios will have like 80 publications listed. Yeah. And I'll There's be a, like, really? Like, we get it. You're good. Like, yeah. we got it. Anyway, <laughs> go ahead, Kate. Well, I'm Kate Meissner. <laughs> Not my real name. Meissner. Meisner or Meisner. So, yeah. Meisner, so the Z, like, you know, but people it's not, do Meisner yeah. and, you know, it feels fine. Okay, cool. It feels great. 
Great. Kate's Great. was my nickname growing up that I hated, and then I claimed it in my adulthood Oof. because it Ooh, made me I feel warm that everyone called me it. Mm. And it seemed to fit me. I'm a, also a writer, poet primarily, illustrator, coming back to that after many years, longtime educator. And currently, as you said, working, overseeing the pen and, uh, pen, the prison and justice writing initiatives at PEN America. Oh, is that what it's like formally called? So I, I totally butchered it. I, I call pen, it the, what did I call it? Prison and Justice Writing Program. That's what it's called. Okay, cool. I just cool. put initiatives in there. It sounds a little bit more exciting. Yes. Yeah. Initiatives. Yes. Agency. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, yeah. what? Let, let's start with that. I want to, or maybe I should, uh, maybe I should, I should prelude with the fact that I'm going to be trying to get involved with all of this. So yeah, tell us what you do and all of the things you do and why you do them. Well, that's a lot of things. I can start mm-hmm. with maybe what I do at Penn or what Penn is, what the programs are at Penn. And then we can also talk about as a, as a writer down the line, how to get involved. Because before I was at Penn, I was teaching in prisons. And then I also did a tour for my book in prisons. Ooh. Um, yeah. I really like that. Yeah. Yeah. So. You went all over. But it's not that easy yeah. to do, actually, interestingly. No, so I we'll, can imagine. we'll get into all that. But yeah. so at Penn, we have two primary programs. One is the prison writing program. It's a four decade old project that is exclusively run through the mail. So m- much mail comes onto my desk every day. Mm-hmm. And through that, we have a handbook for writers in prison that we're actually rewriting starting in the winter, which is a very exciting project. We send about 500 for free of those a month to folks in prison. Uh, Anybody who requests it can get it for free. Through that, people find out about our prison writing awards. Those have been going on for 30 years. We award cash prizes, publication. For the first time, we did an annual anthology this year. Molly Crabapple did the cover. I'm very proud of it. And... Through and that, who, who, who is Molly Crabapple for for those of us who? Oh, she's somebody really know. admire. She's a also primarily an artist illustrator, but also writer. Yeah, I read her memoir Drawing in Blood, and she has a new book out that's co-written co-written uh, with somebody else. Anyway, look her up. She's really fantastic. Okay, Social cool. justice oriented, really I interesting told you person. There. There it yep. is. There's justice. Devin told us. <laughs> well, justice is embedded in the conversation because yeah. criminal justice, you know, there, there's the word justice right there. They though. conflate. Yes. Yeah, pretty debatable in our system. So last thing in there is, is that people can join our mentor program through the contest. And that is a three-time exchange, at least. That's what's asked with a working writer on the outside. And then many times those mentorships go on for much longer. Mm. We have about 250 active at any time. Uh, fluctuates. Hmm. So that's the prison writing program as it has been for many years um, that I'm very proud to now be overseeing with my colleague, Robbie Pollack, who really takes charge of that program's day-to-day and and visions um, the future of it as well. And the other side of it is brand new. It's the Writing for Justice Fellowship, which was funded by Agnes Gunn's Art for Justice Fund. And we awarded, we said six, then we awarded 10 writers, currently, formerly, and not ever incarcerated to write about critical issues connected to mass incarceration. Mm. Through that, of course, there's many, many other things being done. We do really incredible, I think, multimedia, community-oriented events. Yeah. A lot of stuff coming up in the future that's not on the record yet. So yeah, I mean, this just happens to be one of the things you said last, but I do like the idea of not only people that have been in the prison system being able to like write about this stuff too just because that we've talked about this on some of our earlier episodes about how it's tough these days like if you're not you know this demographic are you allowed to write about something like that you know but i think it's important you know if you're passionate about it you know 
Well, I think about like it as involved, a, you know. I think about it as an ecosystem, and that we actually need everyone to care about it because the system is massive, and we yeah. need people who have no stake in it to give a shit about it. Exactly. Essentially, right, in order right. to, to change it. I feel the same way. Yeah. But I think the prop. I think a lot of the pushback, or a lot of you know, where that energy comes from, is that people's voices have historically been so left out. Mm-hmm. So it's an ethical line you walk mm-hmm. with. How do we make sure that there are you know, seats at the table with people who have direct lived experience? Their stories are expertise. They are important. Um, but we also put them in conversation with uh, folks who don't necessarily have that lived experience, but have other skills, ideas, identities, experience they bring to the table. Yeah, yeah. One of my, I, I guess what I'm most curious about is the people involved with this program, especially, and we talked about this, the vocabulary, like, you know, inmates, prisoners, you know, we didn't know exactly what to agree on. But anyways, what kind of transition have you seen from them being involved in the program while incarcerated and then afterwards are they still involved in some way how much like how has it affected their lives like what have you seen what what's the data i guess you know well there hasn't really been data and i've only been there about a year and there the program was really pretty grassroots for a long time beautifully but that means that there was no data collected and because it's a national program it's hard to really say you know who went through the program who was impacted. A lot of the folks that have been cycling through who have won awards kind of risen to the top year after year, and we get about 2,000 submissions a year, so across six genres, five genres. A lot of them are in for life. We have a lot of people who have long sentences or in for life who end up being people who we see there writing continue to win, although we're trying to expand that and, and move out of the everyday voice and also give other opportunities to writers that we, that we know that come along our desk. It's kind of kind of morbid, but now I, now I feel like this episode could be called Long Sentences. Well, that's actually a project we're working on is actually about really? um, life and death in prison, so being sentenced to life without parole or death penalty. Yeah, yeah, And yeah. we do have a couple death penalty writers as well. I mean, that's like, that's maximalism to its uh, <laughs> an, an un- unfortunate logical terminus. <laughs> sure. Yeah, that's super interesting. I, I can't wait to get involved. Yeah, we, and we got to talk about that after this. Absolutely. But, uh, but yeah, Devin, say something about this. Well, I was gonna, you know, some uh, something. I'm, you in college, were you studying mainly black literature? I'm curious. Why well, was, was it minor? Was it, I minored. I was an English and history major, and yeah. was an African American studies minor. And did you guys? I mean, because like you know, in some way, I don't know if you'd agree with this, Kate's, but like the incarceration system is kind of like modern day slavery in a lot of ways, you know, sure. I didn't know if that was like a big topic, but sure. I, didn't want I mean, to that, was, that was when I, say, I mean, I mean, in college was when I read autobiography of Malcolm X for the first time. It's when I read God, that was, yeah, that changed, uh, that changed the new Jim Crow, which came out, I think when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And then also, I mean, I think English literature has a, has a history. I think that people are maybe not as aware of, of prison writing. One of my favorite American poets is Etheridge Knight. Mine too. Who was incarcerated for eight years for bank robbery. Same time period as Gwendolyn Brooks, I believe, and wrote one of my favorite poems, Feeling Fucked Up, which is a great poem to teach. That's a great title. Yeah. I got to read that. It's a great poem. (laughs) I used to know it by heart because I would teach it so often. Easy enough to pull up too. Yeah. That's a great poem. Fuck Marx. Fuck. It goes on. All I want is my woman back so my soul can sing. Right. Hmm. But he wrote, I mean, and and he, he wrote his first book from prison that's what i was going to ask if you yeah. started after mm-hmm. yeah and yeah oh oh our producers have brought it up brought it up should we read it yeah, yeah. Should we read it uh um, i, I kind of love that idea yeah i will read it i'll, I'll pull it up on my phone in 
so I can read it here. We've been meaning to do so, like get people to read their own work on here. So this could be a nice little. I believe the first line is like, "Lord, she's done, left me, gone, packed up, split." Right? Yeah. Real close. I'm, I'm looking Lord, at it. She's it's, gone, yeah. done, done, left me, done, done packed, packed up, right, and so, split. Yeah, it's such a great and that weird. <laughs> I wish you could, people could see it. That the this slash. the slash. Uh huh. But yeah, this is feeling fucked up by other tonight. Lord, she's gone, done, left me, done, packed up, and split. And I would no way to make her come back. And everywhere the world is bare, bright, bone white, crystal sand glistens, dope, death, dead, dying and jiving, drove her away, made her take her laughter and her smiles and her softness and her midnight sighs. Fuck Coltrane and music and clouds drifting in the sky. Fuck the sea and trees and the sky and birds and alligators and all the animals that roam the earth. Fuck Marx and Mao, fuck Fidel and Nkrumah and democracy and communism, fuck smack and pot and red ripe tomatoes, fuck Joseph, fuck Mary, fuck, G fuck God, Jesus, and all the disciples, fuck Fanon, Nixon, and Malcolm, fuck the revolution, fuck freedom, fuck the whole motherfucking thing. All I want now is my woman back so my soul can sing. Mm. <laughs> but yeah, he wrote that, I believe, in prison and... While he was in prison, I, I think his introduction to poetry was just letter writing. I believe he wrote poets he admired, like Wendelin Brooks, and started up a sort of conversation with them. And then someone from Broadside Press, I don't think that's a press anymore, heard about his work. And I believe the moment he got out of prison, his book was published. And I think it was called Letters from Prison. What, when was this? I, I want to say like 60s. He died in 96. I late 60s, late 60s. But I'm not. I can't remember yeah. the details as well. Yeah, yeah. What were the What were the circumstances surrounding like the bank robbery and everything? Like, I mean, what, I, it was just I, I don't. Or, like, I don't know exactly. I mean, I'm. It, he did rob the bank. He was very upset that the sentence was so long. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. And no I one think got he hurt. Did, I think he might have been a drug user. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So no, yeah, that's yeah, yeah. And I, uh, I would love to do a whole podcast on addiction yeah. just alone, just because yeah. like it, you know, if you're talking about like free will and your choices to do things that definitely, to me, drug use almost proves that free will might, yeah. might not exist <laughs> just because of what it makes you do. And I yeah. think that's what's really important, especially cause bringing it back to like prison reform. It's like how it seems like we're more interested as a society. We were talking about this with shaming like celebrities and like you know, rightfully so in a lot of situations to a certain degree, like especially with like Me Too and stuff. Mm. But like the difference between condemning and shaming or figuring out how to solve the problem, it seems like we are definitely more interested in economically exploiting a problem. Sure. Because it's easy to say, these are bad people. Let's make them go do work for 10 years, you know, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's why I asked. Yeah. That's why I asked, like, you know, if he's... Sure. And well, and also to your, I think, original point about getting involved and about the differences of, of sort of demographic differences of people, Etheridge Knight, to tie it back to him, has mm -hmm. a poem called like a white woman wasp. I love that visits poem. A Woo! Black, visits we should a, read that yeah, one. <laughs> visits a, it's like visits a black junkie in prison. Yeah, it's uh -huh. great. And it's, the, it's, it's, a, it's a bit longer and like the first few stanzas are sort of about like why this woman's even coming to visit him and it's sort of an internal monologue and they end up at the end the final stanza they their common ground has nothing to do with being like her visiting him or him being in jail it has to be with the fact that she has a child right or they both have children mm -hmm. and and like that's how it Together? sort of ends no 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 no, 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 no like no, it's no. just like they it, there's like the poem is almost about this searching for how do people 
find a denominator to meet on. And mm-hmm. sometimes it's so wildly unrelated to, sometimes we focus so much on where people are in their circumstances or like whatever, as we search for denominators and it ends up being as simple as the fact that they both have children. Mm. And like, the, I think the last line is about like them, about her talking, I don't know, they're laughing about her child, like making a mess in the room or something like that. Uh-huh. I don't know if that's completely accurate, but as far as I can remember, yeah, I'm not good at remembering details, but you seem to be much better than I am, Devin. But that has that poem has so many layers and implications. Mm-hmm. When thinking about who goes into prison to do what work, which is why I love it so much, because it hits on it, all of the nuance in different parts of the piece. Sure, I feel like Kate should talk about you should your background. What led you to working? Yeah, yeah. Because I I know that you I know that you, your background is in large part as an educator. And perhaps how did that inform you? How did that drive your drive you to where you are now? Yeah, sure. what got you passionate about this stuff? Like, you well, know, my I mother mean, likes to remind me that when I was fourteen, and I was a camp counselor. I was teaching a school to prison pipeline workshops using this video out of the Ella Baker Center called "Books Not Bars," which I believe is on YouTube and mm. sadly really holds up still. So I've always been interested in the conversation. When I saw that film, obviously it did something for, to me when I was young, and then much later I taught public schools, etc. I have you know a whole nonprofit community teaching background and I was at Tribeca Film Institute managing their education program and we did some work at Rikers Island so that put me in the space I forgot I think I was maybe 20 or 19 when I which is much much more much more before much Mm. earlier (laughs) that's the word I'm looking for (laughs) much earlier on where I went to Rikers and also performed as a poet Uh so I had a couple experiences there and that's a very harrowing place and then I was leaving Tribeca to teach part-time and go to grad school. And I got a couple calls in the same week. And essentially that led me to teaching in a women's prison at Bedford Hills every week for a few years. And also teaching teenagers, I believe at Crossroads Juvenile Detention Center first, then Rikers Island, then that sort of set it off. So I, I got in the spaces again in a really deep way. And the teenagers are hard, were hard as they always are hard, and it was heartbreaking and difficult. But the adults, which is what everybody says when they teach prison and work with adults, is where uh, I really kind of fell in love with that work because uh, it was such a hyper-intense classroom, and anyone who's ever taught knows that you're competing with people's cell phones and people's life distractions, (laughs) and people are, you know, relatively privileged in the fact that they even have access to education. But in the room... All these folks had signed up who were really desperate to learn and hungry, and there was no distraction. And I think that's the first thing yeah. that would strike me about going in. I think I, I think the first feeling I'll have is being like overwhelmed with guilt. Yeah, I can see what you mean. Well, y- you do. I mean, you, you're, that, you're, you're that never at, goes away. You're looking at that question like you can't answer it. Our producers just put a question up on the uh, on the on the on the word document. It was who was the first person yeah. to make an impression. Uh-huh. I mean, that space and why. But I'm yeah. like everybody. I, I you know, there's not even an answer to it because uh-huh. there's so many people and you so many. You people don't want to upset someone. No, no, <laughs> no, 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 I'm just, no. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I remember everybody I've ever taught. I mean, that's that's somebody specific. I mean, of course, you know. I don't. I don't even know where to start with that. Well, um, if, okay. If, so okay. I here, can think about more m- maybe moments. I mean, and it changes okay. time to time. It depends on it's a, if it's a women's prison or a men's prison or young people or adults. Does Rikers have a division for both, or is that just men, or what? What? what it, I'm, I'm, both. I'm, it's both. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, I mean, if if so, here's a way to talk about a specific person. We're gonna our the second part. You're gonna be on 
with right with with Sergio. Yeah. yeah. So you, how did you meet Sergio de la Pava and his wife Susanna, who are two of the one of the you know, two of the greatest people on this earth? Well, I have not met Susanna. I look forward. you have you you haven't met Susanna. Okay, but Sergio tireless. I met because they're, they're just yes, yeah. tireless is yeah. I mean, genius and tireless are the two words yeah. I would use to describe them. They're just I mean, you'll G and T and generous, which yes, can also be generous. Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, we're never gonna stop here. But yeah, no, I mean, we're talking about someone who wrote a. Ulysses-esque, you know, literary catechism when he was, you know, he's a public defendant, you know, working 80 hours a week, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know how these people do it. But anyway, yeah. How'd you guys meet and how was, how, how was he involved in stuff? And you I know. invited him. He does a lot of work with Penn. So yeah. he's, I, I can imagine. he's very, very yeah. generous and it, with the organization overall. But in terms of my department, I invited him to read a piece on behalf of somebody in prison who won the award, won an award. Uh, an oh, that's cool. That's and cool. And he came and read at the event, and then I invited him also to speak with our fellows, and we had our gathering with everybody in New York City because the fellows are across the country. And he came as a... We had different writers who were writing about criminal justice in different genres come for a kind of informal lunch, and he was somebody who came to the table as well. So that's how I know him, through this work. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, I, I can't wait to have both of you guys on here. It's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited, too. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm really honored. I'm, I'm not going to lie. I'm going to be a little intimidated. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's going to be great. I actually no, told him. I we've said, met, we've met, like, we know him. You know, well, I said, I know like, somebody who started a press based on being inspired by you. And uh-huh. he goes, Oh, Brian? Yeah, he does. <laughs> he knows. I said, yeah. yeah, I guess you know, huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thanks to thanks to these guys too. I mean, they uh, Devin and Katie got a got him to read. Yeah, I said he loved it. Okay, <laughs> our producers want to crowd him check in. I don't, I don't, I don't think you can probably feel it yet. No, I'm feeling pretty normal. Pretty normal. But pretty good. Yeah, I mean, pretty, you know, pretty, yeah. not tired. It's, am, it was mixed I'm not drinking Kratom, yeah. but I once did a poetry reading at a kava and oh, Kratom yeah, bar. Oh, yeah, that's right. Which was one of the weirdest experiences yes, you've ever had. because I'd never had kava or it's Kratom before. It's time for a tangent. It's time yeah. for a tangent about this. I'd never had ka- kava or Kratom before, and I'm, I'm fairly innocent. Not innocent's a bad word to use, but I'm, I'm fairly... Yeah. What, uh, I'm not an experimental drug user. I like the simple ones. Yeah. Alcohol. Yeah. But I... Uh, I read at this Kratom and Kava bar, and I, f- I felt obligated to have both because they were putting on this reading. And I've never had Kava. Before. Yeah, my mouth went numb, and I started—I couldn't really feel my tongue. <laughs> and that uh, could have been the Kratom. Yes, actually. and yeah. it was pouring outside. But it was also the most well-attended reading I've ever been to. Wow, there's like 60 people in this place that only fit. That's what I'm um, saying. People like their Kratom, man. Yeah, I think Kava can be give the tough people- on your liver or something like that. Yeah, Kava stress relief tea that's yeah. just you know sold at your average old grocery store. Yeah, let us eat our cake. Yeah, that's all I say. <laughs> did you feel it? Like, did you feel the effects? I stopped drinking the kava after that first one, and I, well, the crowd. I don't know if I was really, and then my, I don't know if I was really knowledgeable to what was happening, other than my mouth going numb. And and then my friend George came with a with a fifth of of whiskey, and that was we just snuck drinks of that, and that made everything better for me. That would make yeah. me feel numb. I yeah. think. <laughs> I think that's the idea. <laughs> that's that's alcohol's idea yeah. is numbness. It's mo- I think many drugs. Yeah, you know, yeah. a lot that's of it true. is. That's I, true. I taught at a needle exchange actually up the street from here, one eighty first round. You there. taught at needle exchange. A, a needle, needle exchange. exchange. A needle. Uh, exchange. Called the Corner Project a couple okay. years ago and worked with active intravenous drug users. Uh huh. Often who are nodding out at the this table. This is something that I would love to get involved in. It's really that's really hard work. It's really like, some of the most confronting work I've ever mm-hmm. done. I was I, uh, I was a psychology major as an undergrad. Mm. My my focus was addictions, 
And so I did like a bunch of addictions labs and like I'm obsessed with addiction. Like well, you it's gotta, like, you gotta, you, I'm sure they'd be interested in the writing teacher. I couldn't continue it. It was a number of years ago now, but it was, it's a drop-in center. So people were actively high often, which made the classroom a totally different space. Sure. Right. But of course their whole framework is harm reduction. So it's not yes, about yes. That's trying a- to get people off the drug. It's about saying be safe yep. and yeah. non-judgment and that's what people do on, on reddit like reddit literally has threads where it's like this is about harm reduction we're not trying to get you off drugs or whatever yeah. but like there's like great communities online that like you know reddit is a cesspool for just like trolls yeah. and like well so is any you know yeah, yeah but reddit's like like particularly like you know you're gonna get some like unfortunate human honesty on there you know yeah. mm. but like there is really good shit on there like mm. i be like i'm just being obsessed with addiction and drugs and like pharmacology and stuff like i just i like i just go through so many threads and like the harm reduction thing is a really important thing i feel like in america that's new yeah. I feel like it's like Came the about condemnation. through the AIDS movement mm-hmm. in the late so that's 70s, little... early, late 80s, maybe it's really ACT UP. That's um, older that than organization I thought. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think, yeah. I think, I don't think, I would, I would assume that most, many contemporary Americans don't even know what a needle exchange is. Yeah, right. right. Um, yeah. Or that they exist. Yeah. Right. And that there are people, I think people's conception of addiction is so often just tied to saying it's bad yeah and that's the problem yeah because and that that ties back to the same thing about criminalizing things and like you know get you know exploiting it like you know this is bad you are a bad person for doing this and like that doesn't help anyone you know once you put shame and guilt you make everything worse like you're not going to get someone to reform themselves you know even if it's you would call that reform like you know reformation i don't know yeah so yeah i don't know i'm 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 super interested in that kind of stuff but uh yeah our producers have another question up on the board why are prison writing programs important and what does uh writing do to an inmate's life should we should we just settle on inmate is that like well let's talk about that because i think that it's it's important because it's about language and we're writers in this room right yes i I couldn't agree more let's talk about that so there's a debate because you know the marshall project actually did a big survey of folks in prison who are currently incarcerated which word do you prefer and a lot of people said well we don't really care if you use inmate but a lot of formerly incarcerated people have started a movement that's and that makes sense formerly incarcerated saying like you know now i'm like inexorably tied into like this you know terminology whatever you know sure but but i do have met a lot of people too and it's symbolic that you know inmate is a word that they hear from prison guards Mm -hmm. oh sorry correctional officers they don't like to be called guards speaking of language Mm. so we've chosen that pen really i've chosen that pen not to use what i call state language so we don't use inmate convict felon offender these are all words that people here are labeled with etc uh, on a day-to-day basis, and our obviously our work is about being expansive and layered and mm-hmm. able to have different sides of yourself and to be a full human. So we do use prisoner mostly because it's shorthand and it's illustrative. So if somebody's in prison, they're a prisoner. Just, it's kind of just literal. It's not like necessarily right. pejorative. It's just what's happening. Like you know, right. it's not like. But it's it's funny you talked about like convict when we came up with the idea to have you on and like you know start getting into all this stuff because like I care you know we both really cared about it. One of my friends, Luke in Seattle, was like, "Yeah, you guys could call it pros and cons." And I was like, "That's a really good it's pun." Pretty clever. It's pretty clever, but I don't think we can do that. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I was the, the Katie. No, Katie was the one who was like, uh, "No." <laughs> yeah, it's a sensitive world we're living in, but I get it, you yeah, know. And yeah. I, I've visited probably over twenty-two 
prisons and jails at this point, so I've met a lot of people writing in prison. And, yeah. And I try to listen to what folks are asking for, you know? And at, and at any point, were you at any point, like, did you feel threatened or, like, anything like that? You know, was was there any sort of, or, like, intimidation, like, maybe the first couple times you went in? Just because, like, you know... I don't think it's, I don't think people should shy away from talking about that. You shouldn't like say, you shouldn't say like, oh no, like, you know, this is fine. Like, you know, we're just, this is like a terrible system. We shouldn't be doing this. Like, it's okay to feel like, okay, like if someone's murdered someone here, like. Well, I don't, I don't, I, you know I, I struggle mean? with that because I think it's not nuanced totally. Yeah, I think that actually yeah. there's a lot of really hard conversations about humanity within this conversation and mass incarceration is an easier thing to talk about because then we talk about the new Jim Crow, we talk about three uh-huh. strikes laws, and we talk about nonviolent crimes. But the fact is there are many, many violent crimes in prison and people in prison have committed. And the conversation has to include it and stop dichotomizing that uh-huh. if we actually want to get anywhere, which requires much more difficult conversations. But in terms of have I ever been intimidated? I mean, every time I go in, I'm intimidated by the whole... It's made to feel intimidated. You go through gates and wire and sure. scanners. and So the environment alone, of course, is and it's, totally it's, intimidating. It's interesting, the parallels between that and like in a uh, sort of like... I, don't, I hesitate to say like inner city school, but like, you know, a school in a rough environment. You Absolutely. Know? Oh, right. like those metal deta- I mean, those I mean, parallels are striking. I mean, they're, right. yeah. you know... I mean, absolutely. I mean, it's crazy being a, a, a teacher in a New York City public school building because I don't have to go through a metal detector every day when I walk in, but every single student does. Yeah. And so when we talk about so many of these... Even though, you know, like statistically, like, you know, you're just as likely to go I'm, in and like, you know... Sh- yeah. You know, it's I mean, like, and on. I think any... any conver- <laughs> I think these conversations need to include the ways in which our environments affect our understanding of both ourselves and the people Absolutely. either in environments we don't understand or environments that we generalize or we don't apply nuance to. And I feel, I feel that that too, I think, I think when people have conversations about criminal justice reform and prison abolition, so often it seems like they're talking about the much though hard, easier subject of, of nonviolent crime, non nonviolent crimes and, and things of that nature when, yeah, I think the conversation has to include, like, if, if you want to advocate for prison abolition, you're advocating for pri- prison abolition or reform for everyone right. uh-huh. who is in prison. Uh-huh. And that includes the people that are not, the, the, the crimes that are not easy to sort of rhetorically, you know, un, yeah, rhetorically unjustify or whatever. You, I don't know the right, but, like, yeah, right, right, right. Uh, it's, it's much harder to apply nuance to someone who is in prison for life for murder or for assault. Except for when you meet them and all of a sudden you go, oh, they're mm-hmm. just a person. And I think that's the whole point and, uh, of what, you know, of what writing programs in prison do. And there's kind of this twofold thing happening, right? There's the education of people on the outside, so really humanizing, bringing people close to the fact that, you know, man, 2.3 million, 2.3 million people in prison times... Many, many, many others on parole, probation have uh-huh. gotten out of prison. I mean, that is not a minority of this country. There's, I think, half of the people in America I read recently have had a family member in prison or, or somebody close to them. Wow. So this is an that issue is... that affects many, many, wow. many people. Yeah. So um, how, do we, how do we get people into the conversation where it is nuanced? Well, you've got to then see. So how many times, basically, has somebody said to me, oh, man, that person wrote that and they're in prison? I'm like, well, just because they're in prison doesn't mean they're 
illiterate or stupid or uh, not talented or not contributory. I want to I want to be the first to admit that like as soon my, one of my first questions when I was getting interested in this was like, are people going to be interested in me coming in with this like. You know, this kind of ties into how Devin was talking on an earlier episode about, I think we did, about, like, the academia, how, like, academia is, like, inextricably tied from literature. But, like, and that's trying, we're trying to, like, disentangle that. But, like, you know, you have you have people that, like, they haven't had the same life experience. And I... Some have. I, like, talk about... <laughs> some, some have, though. Some have, some have, but I'm talking about, like, I, I mean, I've, I've gotten in plenty of trouble. <laughs> but they're, but, like, Some that's, people have never gotten in trouble, and then yeah. all of a sudden they're in prison right. for something violent or nonviolent. Yeah, and, I, yeah, I mean, Jesus, there's so much I, that's, like, exploding from my mind right now, but... Oh, it's great. <laughs> but, I think it's informative. But, I'm, but, but, like, my implicit bias was, like, immediately was, like, are people going to be interested in this? Who am I to come in with, like, this book with all my $10 fucking words and, like, you know, are they going to give a shit about like, like one of my, like some, like, you know, I got one white Jewish character from like affluence, like, you know, like, I don't, those things all like all started like racing through my mind. And you the know? answer is some people won't, some people won't. And yeah, the people right, who are right. interested will sign up for it. And the people who won't and understand the art, you know, and that, and which is also with the same, was. it's yeah. also the same with the world outside. Exactly. Of the world. Right, exactly. And, and that's the implicit yeah. bias that I had. It was right. like, oh, there's something different here. No, there's not. It's, it's not different at well, all. Well, that's what the media te- wants to, yeah, you know, that's yeah. the, the, the dominant narrative about you know, who's in prison. So the writing program, you know, part of our goal is to really get writing into the hands of, part of my goal really is to reintegrate exiled voices back into literary community, which is actually very difficult when there's walls between you and no internet. And even a liberal writing community, you know, has a lot of bias or questions. I think that's terrible that they don't have access to internet. What is terrible? And it's a security concern. The sometimes can, sometimes can't. So the I understand that books understand are that. there's a well, yes, and they could have dot, some dot, like dot. sort of like uh, maybe maybe they could beta test Google can beta test the China version of their search engine and, and plus a lot of money, plus a lot of money <laughs> for censorship. But that that raises a whole series of questions about then how do we you know support people? So many questions. That's a big part of this new rewriting of this handbook, which is going to be more of a DIY self-organizing manual for folks on the inside who don't have to always rely on people from the outside coming in because there's actually a lot of talent. For example, I was just at a prison outside of Minneapolis called Stillwater, and a writer there who's won our contest multiple times had a book published with University of Michigan Press. Cool. Incredible writer. Uh Fiction, poetry? Fiction, Fiction. poetry, and nonfiction. He does all three very well. And he started the writing collective before there was any pro writing program there and was really wanted to share that with me as a representative of Penn, I think, just because of the Prison Writing Awards importance in his life. But he was also like, listen, we do this. And mm-hmm. I was like, I know. And it's really inspiring. So, for example, I want him to write a short essay about how he did that because it's not actually easy to organize within yeah. prison. So I think that that's one side of it, right, is the education that we get to do on the outside and the melting the calcified perceptions of who's in prison and all of that advocacy. But also what writing does for people in prison is obviously a variety of things. It does what it does for all of us on the outside, which we could all, we all have our reasons for writing, right, of course. But I think for people who come to writing while they're in prison, because you will get a mix of folks if you do a class, some who are self-identified writers and some who are like, I'm just interested and I want to pass the time. I want to and uh, get better are, at something. Those are the more important targets just because like they... I think both are because... Yeah, but but just, just, in, just in, I was just saying in the sense of like, you know, you get someone 
who who knows what could happen well, when, it's they're, exciting. when they're fresh. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, yeah. Well, it's totally exciting. And I think that what writing can do at best, so, you know, of course there are people who want to write because it's their passion and their craft and they take it very seriously, like those of us who are capital W writers on the outside. And then there are folks who are, you know, come in with an interest and what writing can do at its best is help people redefine a narrative that they've been handed now. I made a mistake or I did something pretty terrible potentially. Uh How do you reconcile with that for the rest of your life? Uh And people who come to writing classes uh, typically, I think, are people who are more interested in really self-work and Hmm. looking at themselves and being able to change the narrative, but also just self-esteem to be able, why would you even want to change your narrative? Or how would you even start if you don't? even have a space to do it. Right, so I right. think there's something about the writing program space that gets to be kind of like non-prison prison for two hours, you but, know? Um, I'm curious, like, I kind of want to get into, like, the nitty... Uh, do you, or Devin, do you have anything to add to that? No. No, okay. That's great. Yeah. I, I want to get into, like, the nitty-gritty of, like, what it, like... You go in, you go through all this security, and, like, what room do you go to? How, like, how does... who's Who's usually there... Like, what is it like getting people to sign up? What specific things do you do with them? Do you like, are you, do you ever read to them from your stuff or like other people's stuff? Or is it all just their writing and discussing? Like what, like what are like some of the really, you know? I mean, so I've taught in housing units, which means I'm in where people live, their cells are. That's a really terrible, intense place to teach. I taught at the transgender housing, housing unit. Housing unit. That's not like a halfway house or something. No, like, it's what, it's where people it's, sleep in the prison. So oh, you're you, talking about within. Okay. I yeah. See, if you've ever I seen see. a TV show where it's you know it's like a cell row of cell blocks. Sure. It's sure. like that, and it looks different in every prison. But so yeah, okay. I was teaching, for example, at the transgender housing unit many years ago at uh, MDC downtown, which is the Manhattan. They Channel. had a transgender housing unit. They did. Yeah. Wow. And. That's fascinating. Lots to talk about there, but yeah, yeah. I was competing my time for my class was the Wendy Williams show. So <laughs> I was like, forget it. Like nobody wanted to come sit and write. But, I mean, I had a couple <laughs> folks who would and, uh, and that's, uh, that, that's, that one person in particular came week by week and it, it made that, it special for me. But. That's an analogy for like li- the state of literature in general. Totally. <laughs> like, you know. Totally. Uh, so that, We're competing with the Wendy Williams show. So there you are trying to, t- you know, people where people live, they might want to go lay down or they're, you know, mm. it's right before lunch or they're hungry. And then there's, you know, officers all around and that's, you know, and the housing units are depressing. Mm. You know, you're sitting at this tiny card table and, oh. So Mm -hmm. there's that scenario, but typically I'm in a classroom. Mm -hmm. So it's usually looks like a public school classroom. They just have them. They just have them. Yeah. There's often schools or small conference rooms that I've been to. And, you know, we get together and we do what we do. I mean, we do what we do in any classroom. So I come up with a theme for the semester Mm -hmm. and do a syllabus and I teach it Mm -hmm. and we read work. So you just, yeah, you basically run a class. Interesting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. When I go on as a guest, that can be different, look different. And what about, what about like one-on-one? Like, because something that I saw that you guys did was that I'm like really interested in is like the one-on-one mentorship type thing. That's all through the mail. Okay, I see. So that's just n- none strictly, pens, strictly through mail. None yeah. of Penn's work goes directly into prisons. We I don't see. actually teach within the prison space because there are a lot of other programs doing that, and it's a national program, so there's a lot of reasons why that's intense. One of our big projects coming up is looking at creating a toolkit for people who want to start doing that work in prisons because it's not an easy answer of how to get involved. Uh-huh. So all of our – I visit prisons now primarily as a representative of the program. People want to People want to bring me in to talk about the work we do which is 
I always feel very grateful to get to do. Sure. In the past, I was teaching classes. So it looks a little different now when I go into prisons. Huh. Interesting. I want to, so I'm going to, I'm going to ask like a, a, at the, at risk of sounding like, you know, naive or like quixotic. Cause you got, you guys both talked about like basically prison abolishment, you know, is that a word? Abolishment. Abolition. 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 Abolishment that, works too. Uh, abolishment. I believe. Um, More intense sounding. I like it. So like, yeah, yeah. So there's like a, there's like the analog I'm thinking of is like when, when, and I'm, I'm going to use like really binary language just to, just for argument's sake like you know when when conservatives that might like deny like climate change mm. you know some of their argument for uh climate change proposals is like yeah this is great but what's the alternative right like and there's a lot of stuff that's there like we know but like you know so basically I, i'm interested in the same thing that people people like who are more like you know we have to punish criminals let's say like if you if we we abolish prisons like what is the alternative what do you guys see i don't know who wants to go first <laughs> i mean I I, I I i think it well i mean this is going to be a this is going to be a non-specific answer to a very specific question i, I yeah, mean yeah. i think that it takes a radical shift in imagination and how that how you how you i think it, it, prison abolition would be truly tied to so many radical shifts in the way we view public housing education guilt I yeah, mean, like, and like I mean, like you know. Yeah, and like addiction. I, yeah, yeah, addiction. Sweet. Like anything, sort of any sort of statewide system. Capitalism. Yeah, would need to. Sh- I mean, I don't think prison abolition exists truly in a deeply capitalist society or any mm-hmm. capitalist society. I don't think that prison abolition exists in a society where public education looks the way it does now. I don't think it's possible. I think what I think what it's too inextricably tied yeah, to Yeah, and I think I think if yeah. someone posed if I said I was a prison abolitionist and someone posed me that same question, I would say to them that it the nature of our prison system, our criminal justice system now is a direct reflection of the society that we live in. I mean, a society that the state has allowed for and the society the state has sort of propagated. Mm-hmm. And so like we it, so maybe it doesn't start with like prison itself it yeah i mean i mean that all of it, it and you need to provide you know there needs to be drastic mental health reform there needs to be drastic mm-hmm. education reform there needs to be drastic reform in all sort of ways in a, in a radical way that allows for sort of the belief that every human being in this country has a has the same potential and access for the same quality of life that people with privilege have mm-hmm. and yeah. it's not as cut and dry a system as well like you know if you believe in prison abolition then like what do you do if like you know joe murders his family and like <laughs> i don't have an especially how do the victims feel like yeah. the victims family and, and that, how do you i that, mean i think that, you know, a better question is what is say, what yeah. is just what does justice look like in a in a in a abolitionist society? right and it's yeah and yeah, that no. is a that's a trickier question that ties into what our values are as a society and, and mm-hmm. how we view each each human being you know i mean it, i think that Devin, you hit the nail on the head it's spot on and it's a tricky thing for me i don't call myself a prison abolitionist 
because of all those questions I have. Mm -hmm. But I do think that we need people who are prison abolitionists on the front line, really pushing the vision of what can and should be instead of settling for something like, oh, let's do uh, more community supervision. Well, that's just mass incarceration in a different form. Yeah. Uh, let's do, we're shutting down Rikers, but opening up all these new community jails. Well, okay, it puts people close to their families, but what is that really doing? So mm -hmm. there, there's a lot of questions around, is reform really reform? And I think that the alternatives look like community intervention programs. It looks like treatment centers. It looks like restorative justice. Common Justice is an amazing organization in Brooklyn that is works with people who have done violent crime and reconciling with victims mm -hmm. and having the victim. Because our current uh, criminal justice system, by the way, doesn't do anything for victims except maybe revenge. They're cut out of the process. Exactly. It's the state against the person. Yeah. So it's not even necessarily a satisfying process yeah, for none, the victim. None, none, of it, uh, none of it addresses the problem we're trying to solve. Right. That's what's so... So you look at healing spaces, whatever that means. I don't, I mean, the, the unraveling of this machine and this beast is like totally overwhelming. So I can't uh -huh. give you like steps, I would see, but I do think that in a healthier society, we'd be looking at not what did you do wrong? Well, we would be looking at that too, but we'd really be asking a question also what happened to you and going to that. Yeah, and that's uh, what I'm interested first. in. Yeah, exactly. I, I kind of, I like, I'll admit straight up, like, I kind of don't believe in free will. Like, you know, I, I like, and There's I, a great podcast on that through on being that you should listen to. I should, okay, on I'll being is great. I I'll can't remember who the guy was, but it's really, I've, you got to listen to it. It is the, the episodes called on being or that's, no, what that's the podcast. The podcast. Okay. And then the guy, I, I have to look back. I remember his was near Martin Sheen's, but he's somebody who looks at also is like, I, I really don't think we have free will. Sorry <laughs> awesome. guys. Yeah. Martin Sheen is pretty awesome. Also, he, by the way, yeah. I mean, super Devin activist. Over, Devin over here would, would, I mean, he's West wing is like on, on, on rotation, heavy rotation. But you know, he's like <laughs> his uh, bedtime stories. Yeah, so he would really get along with my parents. <laughs> but Martin Sheen was like a major. He is yeah. a major activist. Yeah, he's been arrested, yeah. et cetera, et cetera. Oh, we got yeah. a good oh, question. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. Uh, Kate's is, is always looking over at the uh, question board. It's over hard here. not to, you know. It's just yeah, yeah. So how life. could how could how could the literary world be on the front line of of you know, change? You know, whether it's abolition or or just reform or whatever you want to call it, you know. What what yeah. what can books do? Well, I think that you know that word ecosystem I use a lot because I think people play different roles, right? So I'm not on the front lines of a protest like Martin Sheen. Uh -huh. I I play a different role, right? In terms of literary world, I mean I debate back and forth around you know the good old hierarchy of need and how important is literature anyway and what am I even doing with art? You know I have all uh -huh. these kind uh -huh. of questions when people have really dire needs, but. I do think what the literary world is pretty impressive at in the last couple of years is really shifting to whose voices we value. And mm -hmm. it hasn't, it's not good enough yet, but there's been a sure. lot of emphasis on moving towards really being inclusive, uplifting voices that have been underheard, quote unquote, looking at who's left out of the conversation, valuing different kinds of writing. So I think that we can make statements with saying that we value the voices of people in prison, mm -hmm. bring them into our work. Not easy to do, again, that's a whole other conversation. Uh, we may be doing an event on that actually this year, so keep your eyes out if you're in New York City in March, maybe. Cool. I think, I mean, of course, imagination. Artists are always able to imagine a world that isn't, but also, I mean, obviously writing about issues too, but the question with that always is, who's the audience? How's it getting, how's the word getting out there? Who's reading it? Who's reading period? So 
I think that we have to look at it as a microcosm. So how do we sort of live the principles in our work that we want to see in the world? But I also think that has to happen on a personal level outside of literature with uh, individuals as human beings, which is a very hard thing to do on a day-to-day basis. You know, it requires constant questioning of um, how am I interacting? What does forgiveness look like? What does Mm -hmm. being accountable look like? Mm -hmm. What does admitting my wrong look like, even when it's really embarrassing and painful and I don't want to, you know? Yeah, that's one of the hardest things about about thinking about how literature changes the world because so often you, you like I feel lately how literature, contemporary literature is often on the front lines of, of very sort of progressive causes and realizations and ideations. And then you realize that like you sort of step out of that and you realize that like like the best-selling book best-selling literary fiction book was is nothing compared to the newest drake song you know um, <laughs> but you do hope for trickle down and i yes, think that you're you right literature uh-huh. is where a lot I think of new ideas start mm-hmm. and then you get somebody like jay-z who molly crab apple illustrated doing a uh, a video on the new york times sure about the marijuana industry now you know being run by white people who are benefiting and yep. getting all uh-huh. this money while the folks who were selling it on the corner are totally cut out of yeah. yep. now being That's legal I, uh, white people versus people of color obviously so it, i think it yeah. does start to infiltrate and it's yeah. not a direct correlation always but you know look at like a kendrick lamar for example mm-hmm. like that guy has to be reading i mean yeah. he's brilliant oh he's you know what i mean oh. he's and probably has, devours i think books. to your point so many of these things begin in in art yeah and and you look no i i love that you brought up jay-z i also it may, also makes me think of Pusha t in terms of just like this implicit bias of like criminals right and like what their mindset is and like what is criminality okay if if whoever makes oxycontin is it, i want to say purdue but that's a chicken company <laughs> it, it might be purdue it might be purdue no it's like kellogg owns i forget i forget i forget aren't serious but they're they're fucking pushing drugs like that's what they're doing and like so well, I'm, also, try, I'm trying not, i'm trying not to make this in, in like a in a what I, what I'm trying to get at is these people are obviously very smart. So you listen to you listen to a Pusha T song and he has a line in his newest album about how like they didn't even think about giving a, a hip hop artist other than like you know someone like Will Smith. That's kind of like love him still though. Yeah, I just do. I, yeah. Wholesome. I, Independence Beautiful. Day, one of the greatest fucking movies Great ever family. made. Totally would yeah. win for yeah. president awesome. if you ran. And a, yeah. and a decently saying. and a decently. Oh, it, it is Purdue. Wow, God, I'm fucking good. Anyway. Either that or I'm just like way too obsessed with like addiction and drugs and stuff. But uh, but what I'm saying is like he has a line about how they didn't even think about giving a Grammy to someone like Jay-Z until he did Annie, which was Hard Knock Life. Mm. It's a hard knock right. life. Right. For, like all that shit. Like, and it's like you, lis- like you listen to Pusha T's lyrics and it's like this dude is just a fucking genius. And it's like where did it come from? Like, the, like he cle- like it clearly comes from the same thing that it comes from for any of us. It's like so your circumstances clearly dictate what you do with your life, and I can't judge someone for selling drugs when people want to do drugs, and we're not we refuse to like investigate why that might be the case and what kind of harm reduction initiatives well, a lot can be more put people there, you agree know with I mean? that now and that's because of the new jim crow michelle yeah, alexander and, and you teach Devin. you know at a high school i used to teach at in the south bronx the principal had the whole uh, t- all the teachers reading and administration reading the new jim crow so then that infiltrates yeah, yeah. their classrooms yeah. so i think that that's 
I mean, nothing is, you know, nothing's going to be perfect in terms of, I think, yeah. how we deal with these massive issues in our society. And sometimes I'm a total pessimist. And actually, I'm like, you know, we're really screwed. Like, this, we're destroying our planet. I take some comfort in the fact that the Earth will probably regenerate once we're gone. Many people <laughs> probably find that frightening. Oh my A lot God. of people will be in pain first before that, which yeah. is not good to think about. You're going to love our second novel that we're putting out yeah? by David Hollander. Oh, it's, yeah? uh, it's called, it's uh, the working title's Anthropica. I don't know if we're going to stick with that. Okay. But it's about a group that wants to essentially unleash these robots that will basically, you know, kill humanity. Yeah, and there's this idea that like there's all you know there's all the stuff so to it happening like, with Boston Dynamics. That's it, it, crazy it's, dog robots. Oh, I know those are so they, like, scary. They They're like doors. Black Mirror. Crazy. They call but, you for know, help. Something I'm thinking. This is a question I'm thinking about a lot because the for I'm like for example, it's, people are making hand signals in the background. I'm getting distracted. Sorry. What am I saying? She's signing. What I'm saying. She wants me. She wants me to pl- uh, plug uh, David's new David Hollander's new oh, Twitter handle because. In his in his He's novel, great, the website's great. Website yeah, the, is the website's amazing, right? It's very the, good. You know, all hail all hail Katie Rainey, our producer. But essentially, he just came up with this Twitter handle, and it's it's through Fexo, one of the robots in his novel. Mm-hmm. It's through his voice, and it is fucking hilarious. Some oh, of my favorite man. parts of the book is basically Fexo tries to write stories like a human. That's the only thing I want to follow on Twitter. I went on it today, and I quickly started. I was so overwhelmed by the intensity mm-hmm. of it. Yeah. But I will be following this one. Yeah, do it, do it. It's hilarious. It's, uh, longlivetheauthor.com, and it's at the Fexo. At the Fexo. Yeah, yeah, F-E-X-O. Yeah, longlivetheauthor.com is his website. At the Fexo, yeah. his Twitter handle. Um, it is hilarious. I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> I'm so excited to put his book out. <laughs> I'm excited to read it. Yeah. And just to go back to like what can literature do? Yes, if that's yes, okay. Yes, yes, that's what I. That Which I think about okay. a lot from a pessimistic standpoint. But I'm also teaching a class this summer at Poets House. That's about. Well, let me ask this first, Devin. Have you ever written a poem, uh, something in a poem that then later comes true, and you're like, "Whoa, that's weird." Sure. So you've sort of accidentally predicted something that, but like in a very specific way. Yep. I just published an essay. I just published an essay about, this is ties into everything we're talking about right now. I just published an essay on uh, it, on anti-heroin chic. And it's about me becoming a friend, becoming friends with this jazz drummer. Mm-hmm. And he like sat outside this like dental clinic and it was unclear what he did for them, but he worked there, quote unquote. Sorry, Devin, I'm going to let you like say your thing. But this, like, literally, I have a scene in my novel where Julia runs into this like trumpet busker, and he starts talking about like, like she starts talking about how her dad just died from a di- like he he like he relapsed on meth and all this shit, and and essentially they have this conversation, they form this little friendship or whatever, and like this, so this happened with me, but this except wow. the roles were kind of reversed in the sense that I realized that he was like dishonest mm. but i really liked him and i noticed a lot of myself in him just if our circumstances had kind of been switched you know mm. essentially what that what it boiled down to was he said he was going to go do a tour, a tour in florida before that he said he was going to do a, a show at the shrine and he told mm-hmm. me when where we show up he does he's not there oh. then he says he's going to do this tour in florida for like a month and then i see him like a week later and he looks like really strung out on this bench mm-hmm. and he's like and he's kind of like got like ranting paranoically or whatever like about like oh don't tell people where i'm living and stuff like that Mm. and it was really sad but like i really liked him a lot and like i really saw myself in him like and so yeah anyway anyway i just i can really relate to that yeah not just poems writing in general yeah Yeah. something that happened like that i wrote about and i was like wow this is eerie yeah yeah no i mean yes it's happened to me 
that's all. Do you have a specific? Do you have like a specific poem or a, not like a that lot of time? I, I mean I mostly I've, it's sort of I think that feeling of of writing into a, a a feeling you didn't know you had, and then as if the poem has given you permission to feel that in the real world, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then so after the after the writing of the poem or or the piece, it it is the. I, like so often writing is not actually is not actually an articulation of what you feel it is sort of an um, it, like it, it's just a, it's a radical imagination mm-hmm. and then the writing grants you the the ability then mm-hmm. to feel this new thing you write yourself into into newness exactly so yeah. with that said beautifully articulated this class i'm teaching is about that energy but trying to harness that energy. So there's some woo-woo stuff involved in it, I won't lie. Uh-huh, I like some uh-huh. woo-woo tarot card stuff, you know. I'm uh-huh. like, you know, I enjoy it. I'm still oh, Katie, a skeptic. Katie can get down with that. Great, Katie, <laughs> me and you. Uh, but also I'm using a lot of movement principles, like activist movement principles for creating poems and really thinking about actually reimagining the world by harnessing this energy of writing into something new, writing into a new world. What does it look like? And thinking about... I'm really looking at this book, Emergent Strategy, as sort of the baseline that I'm hopping out of. It's a great book. Uh-huh. And thinking about biomimicry, and which is the practice of looking at nature and natural responses for solutions. Biomimicry. Right, yeah. Is that different? Like, it makes me think of mimesis. Just like know, mimesis right? is just like the kind of just the... People, people copying people, and that's how culture kind of forms. Like, I don't yeah, know, is there any, is there any people, relation? But instead of people, it's... The world. It's the, the world. natural world. Okay. The natural Interesting. world. Interesting. Yeah. Cool. Cool. So, I mean, I'm, I, while I'm a skeptic and, like, who knows how all this will go, I'm still... <laughs> I still believe, obviously, that uh, it's worth trying and doing and, and having literature be in conversation with what a better world looks like or could be. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, so... I just think it's important that, like, honestly, like, you know... This is this is my own woo woo shit, but like, I really do think literature is very important just in terms of being able to imagine outside of yourself, and I don't think there's anything else that replaces that. Mm-hmm. I don't think movies do it in the same way. You have to actively decode and encode like what someone is saying on paper, and if you defamiliarize your language and all that stuff, it's just an exercise that cannot be replicated anywhere else. And once people can get into that, like you really just start to be, you, you're like, whoa, if I can do this, like if I can translate what this person's mind is doing, like this is just connecting all of us, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I, I do, like, I don't think there's any better way to do it. I don't think through a movie you can do that. You know, you can't get in someone's psychology like that. And, mm-hmm. and so in terms of like prison reform, just showing people that like these people are, are in there and they can connect right back with you in the same way, just like anyone else. More than anything, that like the content, like you know, I'm kind of like talking like in a psycho, like analytic mm-hmm, mm-hmm. way right now. But like you know, no, process over it. content. You know what I mean? It's like, what are we doing here together? I don't know. I hope that doesn't sound like crazy, like abstruse. But no, <laughs> no. <laughs> let's do a kratom check in. So far, I feel kratom. Katie feels it. Katie's Katie's what is going it, like. What do you? What do you? How would you describe it? Because I feel good right now. It's like, oh. but I don't know if it's like noticeable if I'm just having a nice time with you. I see. Guys. Because and 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 I didn't give you much. Like I gave you a very low dose. It's it's kind of people get kind of uh, afraid of it because of, like okay, so if you smoked a gram of marijuana, you would be fucking lit off your ass. Mm-hmm. You know, like just done. Like a gram of kratom is an extremely low dose. And hmm. I probably gave you about a gram, maybe two or something. Okay. And so like at those lower 
ends of the of the, the at the lower range it's more of an energizing sort of mm. mood uplifting thing mm. but if you take enough of it it can act as like a pain pain reliever mm. like analgesic like you know wow. kind of thing so yeah i mean you you might be able to notice it i don't know could be placebo could be the conversation who knows sometimes after i drink more than two cups of coffee which this would be I get really jittery feeling and I don't feel that way. Yeah, yeah. right, right, right. Well, that'll take that I away. I do mushroom coffee, which tastes like coffee, but what not is, great coffee. What is mushroom coffee? It's similar. It's just, it has... Um, You're not microdosing. It's just uh, two... No. <laughs> it's psychedelic mushrooms, it, no, 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 no. Yeah. It's, it's too expensive, <laughs> <Who isn't>? but... <laughs> like, it's you should be. <laughs> mushrooms that chaga, reishi, I'm not even sure I'm pronouncing them right, that similarly like boost your mood, concentration. It, cu- it makes the intake for me of coffee much gentler. Yeah, I don't know. But it's pricey, cool. which I hate. Yeah, yeah. How could we expand the literary community with prison communities in a positive way outside of just writing programs in prisons? Hmm, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I have a lot of ideas. Yeah, go ahead. Always. I think that... If literary community broadly is interested in this, let's say literary journals, literary readings, first of all, you have to make it accessible. So what do folks in prison need, which is the question of equity. What does somebody need, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Folks in prison have to figure out where to submit. Now, Writer's Mm -hmm. Digest only tells you the name of the publication, the genre, and, you know, what the dates are. Well, how the hell do you know what kind of stuff is in there? And if it's a literary journal that's online, you don't have access unless you have an advocate sure. on the outside who's able to do that. That's for the you. kind of thing yeah. that upsets me about their their lack of uh, access to internet. I think that's kind and of and then also submission fees. Yeah, of, of course. Right, so right, the right, right, so exactly. the question is is one, are literary journals open to sending back to an incarcerated writer some examples of the work they've published? Mm-hmm. Are they willing to accept outside of their submission window? Because it may have changed from what's in this book from three years ago in the library that they're looking at. Are they willing to not <laughs> like, not only do an incarcerated writer's issue, but to just open the gates to people who are in prison to submit? For example, this is great. I just got a phone call recently from a fellowship that was quite a bit of money in Oregon who called me and said, how do you deal with writing, awarding writing? I mean, awarding money to writers in prison. Mm-hmm. Uh, what are the mm-hmm. rules? Which is a complicated and complex. And we so we had that dialogue, not a straightforward answer, risk involved. And I said, okay, it was not a fellowship for incarcerated writers. It was for just writers, period. And she said, I didn't realize that one of, the, one of our fellows is incarcerated wow. until I got to the address. And I said, wow. I love to hear that, first of all. Uh-huh. Second of all, I know it's not public yet, but can you tell me who it is? And when uh-huh. she said his name, I was like, I knew it, I knew it, I knew it. It's, one uh, of, that's amazing. it's a writer we've, we've done a lot can with. You, can, you, can you say their name? I don't or? know if it's announced yet. You're not, so okay, yeah, fair enough. That's, I, that's I wish. Awesome. But that for me, that's a win. You know, we still mm-hmm. do need spaces that, of course, hooked the identity. So that does a lot of advocacy, too. We're not changing at Penn our prison writing awards anytime soon. That's, that's important for a lot of people still. It gives a lot of permission as well. But I think that, that the more that we seed voices in, quote unquote, normal outside literary spaces, also, for example, something I've been interested in doing, and it's really overwhelming to think about, but it's an idea I have, is how do we get open mics to be featuring writers in prisons worked? That means hmm. somebody takes on the voice, really, and steps in to read the piece. There's a lot of ethical what's, questions about that. What's the that. name of the fellowship? I don't know. I'm sorry. No. It's in Oregon, just for writers oh, in Oregon. Okay. Okay. Yeah, Fair I, can't, I'm, I can't remember. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. Yeah, I'll look it up too and see if it's been announced, actually. Yeah. Maybe yeah. I'll do that shortly. I can write down the person's name for you. 
you can look it up. Would you, I, I like this question that our producers just put up. Is there, is there any writing that you'd like to share? Sure. So Kate's is looking up some writing from a, uh, one of, one of someone you've been working with. I'll, do, I, I'll, I assume. I'll read a pen award winning poet. Cause it's just easiest to find that since it's published online. So and where, read. where are they? Can, like, can, can you say? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. They're on pen.org. No, I mean like where, like where, where, where is this person now? Oh, like physically. Shit. Is that, is that not? No, it's not that I do. I just don't know you off don't the top know. of my head yeah, necessarily. Yeah, got, it. got it. So I'm like, let me find, maybe I'll read you the award first place award winner this year it's matthew mendoza he's won multiple times and in multiple categories he also won with a play that we put we put up a 10 minute long play with a group of actors that were formerly incarcerated as part of rehabilitation through the arts alumni theater program and they they brought the house down. They were amazing. Where where, where, where did that uh, take place? Uh, at the Brooklyn Book Festival, which is where we'll be next year again. Ah. So it was absolutely unbelievable. There's actually a great, really highly, nicely produced video online. If you just search Breakout Voices from the Inside, Pen America 2018, mm-hmm. you can watch it. It's at the very end. And it's about all these people in the prison debating about a prisoner turned into a bird and flew away. Wow. It's it's wonderful. Huh. So, but this poem is called Grace Notes by Matthew Mendoza. I believe he's in New Mexico. Let's read his bio and I can tell you. Texas. Just kidding. Matthew Mendoza is in prison in Texas. His work has been published in Atlanta Review, Big Muddy, and Comstock Review. He wants to thank Penn for changing the way he does time. Hmm. Ooh. That's yeah. amazing. Well, I got a wonderful letter back from him, too, because we send, I always call it evidence, which is, feels weird in the context of prison, but I send back packages, or we send back packages of photographs, program, impressions from the show. We send it all back to the writers who don't know that their work is being put up. We really wow. choose what is the most performable, essentially. Uh-huh. And some of the letters we've gotten back from people are just astonishing. And yeah. he said something like, you know, a, a real group of actors on the outside on a real stage put my play up and nobody can take that away from me. That's like, amazing. Ugh. Yeah, that's so cool. Which is just, you know, you realize the impact of things that are so small and we take for granted on the outside, you mm-hmm. know? So here's Grace Notes by Matthew Mendoza. If there is a place of grace, it is not here beside the seasonal stream. The water does all the things that water does, burble, trickle, rush, and roar, like the moments of our days become lives wearing a smooth. We are not river stones. There is no grace here. This is just water. Just like food is not love, and washing your hands of the heart's stains is just a myth. Forgiveness does not flow like water. It's fall. It's always fall now. Leaves are not hands. Still, I read their palms. My fingers drift along the frame of the still leaf. I tell the leaf, sometimes you are outgoing. Sometimes you are wary. You find it scary to reveal too much. The trees share decades, but their leaves are short-lived. Forgotten moments frozen in an orange fire. I practice forgiveness and gratitude and mumble a jumbled prayer as I set the leaf sail. I follow the glassed glide of its early journey then, as I stumble over dirt, beer cans, condoms, this becomes a mirror of my own life. The stem, like dreams, make an impotent rudder. The leaf drifts past a rock. As my leaf circles in the eddy of a near miss, a boulder becomes a matter of perspective. My own hurt becomes the stream. My pain wearing smooth the lives of people I love. 
I watch the leaf circle, circle, sink. I go back to the place I started and find another leaf. If this one sinks, I'll find another. I know that this dream is not forgiveness or goodness or grace, but it is the only water I have. Man. Just a little plug to say, come to our next show, what we did with that poem. I'm so proud of this. We invited some currently incarcerated musicians at Sing Sing to score music to our award-winning poems, oh, wow. three of them. Cool. And we cool. had a string quartet, Music Cambia, on the outside who teaches in prison, uh-huh. perform the music. And then the person who read that poem, who did a, a tremendous job, Ian Manuel, his poetry is featured in Brian Stevenson's Just Mercy, who's like a big name in criminal justice reform. Uh-huh. And Ian's story is that he was incarcerated at 13 for shooting a woman in the jaw who lived after stealing her purse and was in solitary confinement for something like 18 years. Wow. And he, he's out now, obviously, he performed that poem. He's a poet mm-hmm. himself. And he also reconciled with the woman he shot. They're friends. There's actually a video online of it that was that pretty viral. That is incredible. Yeah. So that's a story that of, is incredible. of redemption yeah. and, and restoration that's pretty unbelievable uh-huh he was a kid that might make it easier but there are yeah. stories that are pretty tremendous it's, it's just it's so just, that was the reading of that poem better than mine <laughs> <laughs> no it's just it's just amazing like i feel like if you have that kind of i don't even know what to call that like you know if you're putting that stuff out in the world and you get that kind of feedback and like that kind of validation like how much more likely are you to just start thinking more positively and I don't know. Yeah. It's How just, much does that do for us? You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Like, for of everyone. course, you yeah, know, exactly, exactly. Of course, of course. And it's, everything's heightened in that space, obviously. Uh-huh. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I was going to ask this anyways, but it's all, it's up on the board. Is there any way we can get Matthew to hear this podcast? Or is that absolutely impossible? Well, he could do it over the phone. Over the phone. Yeah. That probably would, be, would have to get somebody's number. Could be pen. I could do it yeah. on his call list and then he could call me and I could play it over the phone. Cool. That's probably the only way. Sometimes people can see things if there's like a chaplain with access to the internet, but every prison's different yeah. and most that's not possible. And uh-huh. but yeah, we could definitely do yeah, it. Over we have the phone. ten million subscribers. Yeah, we're, yeah, we're working. We're that poem has been a lot of places too because it's such a beautiful piece. Mm-hmm. I've re- read it so many close events, this and that, and yeah. I have exciting. to admit, it strikes me immediately that like so many. <laughs> It just feels like like someone like that just has some so much more to say than like your average MFA grad that like comes out and just like just like says like you know does like a reading like you know because they're trying to get their name out there and there's nothing wrong with that at all like you know I I, I say this like half out of like you know my like I, te- I tease poets all the time you yeah know? I was Bring waiting I was waiting Bring for it the, on. I was yeah. waiting for us I do to, too. to right, shit right. on poetry let's do it yeah, yeah right like <laughs> let's just start shitting on everyone no but no I, I mean you can easily tell like there there's just so much there like you know it's like it's so many times I just hear like you know the younger like MFA poets come out and it's just like, like a word salad like that you know right. tries to sound pretty and like all that shit and it's honestly stuff like you know I don't know yeah it and I, I, I don't say this out of any form of nepotism. It's like kind of like the opposite of the stuff that Devin writes, you know, like that kind of like the, the like those MFA poets that just like it just feels like so many of them don't have anything to say yet. Right, it's right. like there's just this reaching for profundity, but it's just like not. Well, you have to live in order to write. You have to live. And like it doesn't matter what age you are, but there is a correlation between that and like and like Matt, someone like Matthew, who are, it's like it's just like. Even on a even in a te- like a craft based sense, 
like just every word does so much work you know mm-hmm. yeah. it's because of that you know and mm-hmm. he's obviously very talented yeah. you know but you also don't have to live a certain conception of what it is to live in order to write That's I, right. Think, right. I think that that because then you can play you can you could apply that same statement to people making stereotype stereotypical comments about people in prison sure and about like i mean i i like your life doesn't have to be a, a, a gen- generic version of a struggle in order to write something profound. I totally agree. I, suffering, I, suffering is not the only thing that sure. needs need, that, um, that writing needs. You know, yeah, for sure. But at the same time, yeah, it's not. Well, I think too, you get a poet or a writer like somebody like Matthew, who's exceptionally talented across genre and, and a very serious writer. And I think what you're getting at, which is, uh, you know, always we always can borderline on stereotype when we sure. we make generalizations. But what you're getting at, I think, is that uh, somebody who has the skill and ability to translate some of the deepest questions and themes of humanity. Mm-hmm. And some of those deepest themes and questions of humanity happen in spaces like prison that, because that, it's such hyper-reality in a specific sure. way. Yeah, Some yeah. of the hardest questions of humanity. So, <laughs> and that's, and, yeah. the, and I, I will yeah. say that's why our, our tagline is books that matter. Like we are, I'm, like, you know, and we, we try so hard to not make that sound like, yeah, who the fuck is trying to write books that, <laughs> publish book that, books that don't matter. But no, like the deepest questions about humanity, like, you know, not being afraid to go somewhere like and, 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 and the prison industrial complex is such a good analog for this, because like if you don't want to look at that darkness, then what are you really doing? Sure. You know, well, right. So. And that's a space of rampant darkness. Not that all yeah. humanity isn't, but it's so concentrated right. there and you're so isolated and separated and and all of that, you know? Yeah. 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 How's everyone doing Kratom wise? Kate, so you. Is, is there I'm happy is, is it discernible from your default existential state I'm feeling really like light I often don't feel good I have like a lot of health stuff that's a bummer Oof. and today I'm, I'm sorry like, to hear that that's like the worst well, I've also been exercising consistently which I think you know that helps makes a big difference yes. <laughs> I definitely notice a sharp decline in my mental health when i stop exercising. me too yeah, physical yes. everything yeah well devin runs 80 miles every i know hour, listen so. this guy <laughs> impressive so i guess i guess the the consensus is kratom is great oh, okay okay and so like don't fucking ban it <laughs> don't ban miller I high could life get, i could definitely mm-hmm. get on that board with that statement all right, miller high go. life the champagne Although I think beers. of yes, all yeah. things, alcohol, we could talk about that another yeah, day. We Even though should, I do drink, I mean, yeah, for sure. It. I mean, I love alcohol. <laughs> I should take I a just, sip. You know, it's like, honestly, I think it's like the worst drug. I think it's Well, we just have to have better conversations about <laughs> yeah. drugs that include yeah. alcohol. But no, we I should not love, have prohibition. That's a terrible should idea. We, should we talk? I mean... Sergio's a DA. I mean, like, I think we could talk about that with him for sure. I think we should talk about everything with Sergio because he's yeah. going to have a total insider. I mean, I my whole approach to he's these like, conversations is through such a specific lens, but his sure. is through the legal lens is fascinating, obviously. I'm excited to hear him talk. Yeah. Okay, that's it for today's episode. If you like what you heard, please subscribe and review on whichever platform you're listening. You can get in touch with us on Twitter at Animal Riot Press or Facebook and Instagram under the same name or through our website, animalriotpress.com. This has been the seventh episode of the Animal Riot podcast with your host, Brian Birdbaum, and featuring Kate Smeisner and Devin Kelly. Transcripts for our deaf and hard of hearing animals are provided by Jonathan Kay, and we are produced by me, Katie Rainey. See you later, you filthy animals.
sir, it's the burn. Bombing on yelling, getting gully as the fern. I don't know much about.